Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm Emma Cantor, Associate Children's Book Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with author Jonathan Oxier about his new middle grade novel, Sweep. The book is due out September 25th from Amulet Books, which is sponsoring this podcast. As he states on his website, Jonathan Oxier is the best-selling author of Strange Stories for Strange Children. His books include Peter Nimble and His Fantastic Eyes and The Night Gardener. The latter received the TD Book Prize and ILA Book Award. Set in 19th century London, his new book, Sweep, tells the story of a young chimney sweep named Nan, whose life is forever changed by the birth of a monster made of soot. But this particular monster, Charlie, is a benevolent golem determined to protect the orphan and her friends at all costs. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So the golem legend has been told and retold across the centuries. How did you first become exposed to the myth and what inspired you to reanimate it? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Um, so for me, I think in, in popular culture, popular secular culture, there are some general uh, notions of golems. We're seeing this a lot more today with, with video games and fantasy literature, where the golem was sort of just a stand-in for this sort of uh, dumb, almost automaton creature that, you know, would be whatever created through some magic means. They were often made of some element like rocks or stone. And, uh, and, and again, I think kids today see this in video games, whether it's Clash of Clans or Minecraft or everything in between. And similarly, when I was growing up, I, I knew a golem was sort of just a generic fantasy monster. Uh, and that changed when I was, I, I believe I was about 19. And it's the one and only time I've been able to travel abroad. My father was taking a trip uh, out to Prague um, for some work, and he brought me with him. And uh, I actually am I'm a very reluctant traveler. I remember being embarrassingly grumpy uh, when he was really going out of his way to to make this a trip we could share together. Uh, but once we got to the city after all of the travel, uh, I really fell in love with Prague. Um, and one of the things that I discovered there is that uh, is is kind of the true history, the rich history of golems. Um, for those who aren't familiar, golems are, they come from Jewish folklore, and, and initially they really were just sort of these mindless ser servants that were created. Um, and often the, the stories are kind of uh, small and, and I don't want to say trite, but not hugely impactful. Um, it's sort of like what you imagine, you know, with, uh, you know, Goethe's Sorcerer's Apprentice when the, the brooms are all coming alive and, and cleaning things up and then they make a mess. And a lot of the stories that you find, one of the Grimm's brothers, for example, documented an early golem story like that. But then, uh, as the Gollum mythology grew and changed, it began to take on this enormous weight and resonance, specifically in Prague. And the Gollum story that is most famous today of the Gollum of Prague has to do um, with persecution that was going on um, with, in, in the original Jewish ghetto, um, uh, having to do, I believe, with blood libel. Um, the people in, in this neighborhood, the Jews in this neighborhood, were being persecuted by their Christian neighbors. And, um, and so this one rabbi... Uh, Rabbi Lowe created this creature. He was made out of uh, mud, kind of clay mud, uh, taken from the banks of the river there. Um, he was brought to life, and the golem's job was to protect the people um, uh, from persecution. And it worked, and it was wonderful, and, and the golem was kind of a hero. 
the story from there has a number of different endings that you've seen over time. Uh, one of the things that was fascinating to me was, first of all, the the sadness in its conception, right? This is a creature that came out of enormous need of people who needed saving, and no one was there to save them, so they had to create someone to save themselves, uh, which to me is fascinating. Uh, but the other fact of it is, in almost all of the iterations of the Gollum story, once the Gollum has fulfilled its function and helped uh, its creator or the people it was meant to help, usually the Gollum's end is uh, is pretty sad. Uh, it was a creature who was given life, and in some of the stories, uh, the Gollum resists um, resists its creator and tries to continue living, and that always goes horribly, or other things kind of come from that. But the Gollum itself ends up being both heroic and tragic, even if it brings about happy endings for other people. That was a long answer to your question, uh, but that's where that's I very first... good background. <laughs> um, yeah, I can get a little geeky about this. I apologize. Um, so I discovered golems when I was visiting Prague, and, and it sort of lit a fire under me. I became very fascinated. I started reading about it for years and years. And I also, within that, just loved the sort of mental challenge of a creature that could be made from different elements. And over years, I used to have this game I would play with myself where I would try to draw golems made from bizarre objects, whether it was, you know, bits of broken glass or a golem made from soup or a, a golem, in this case, uh, made from soot. Um, and I carried that with that image with me for a long, long time before it actually found a place inside Sweep. How did thinking about the origins of the myth lead you to address historical and sadly modern issues of discrimination? And was that a challenge in broaching these issues for young readers? Uh, that answer is twofold. In many ways, uh, I, I had no... This story has taken so long to come together. I started the story over 10 years ago. Um, and I really had no intention. I wanted to write authentically about a point in history, and I wanted to write honestly about the dark parts of that history. Um, I had no intention or really desire to speak to our present moment, and if you recall, 10 years ago was a slightly more rosy <laughs> moment anyway. Um, and so the, the book took on uh, enormous resonance um, to to this current moment that we are in, in a way that I didn't anticipate, and in a way that frankly breaks my heart. Um, I, I think my, the initial exercise was really to show, um, how horrible things were not so long ago. And, and it's amazing to see some of the things that are, as my research taught me, and also as sort of just the reality of our world, uh, has become more apparent. Uh, we realize that it's not old history. It's not even history. It's our lives still. The novel confronts other social and economic realities of Victorian London, including child labor and poverty. What sort of research did you undertake in bringing the time period to life? Uh, I'm a pretty big fan of research, though I will say after this book, I've sworn off doing uh, books with quite this level of historical <laughs> research. Um, it was a extra difficult to um, write a book set in uh, a city that had subsequently been bombed into oblivion. So none of the streets and buildings uh, make sense when you compare modern maps. So Google Maps couldn't help me. Um, but more to your point, um, as I was writing, I had a lot of resources. My wife is actually, uh, she's a scholar of Victorian children's literature. She was the one who actually first uh, kind of pointed to me uh, the, the, the rich and tragic uh, history of uh, these kids who worked for 
for chimney sweeps, who they called climbers. Um, and from there, I just did kind of years and years of research sinking into the story. Sometimes I got to cheat and my research would double up. So the night gardener was also set, um, in Victorian England. So I learned a lot about how a house was run from the night gardener and I could transport that into certain moments in, in sweep. Um, but really it was just a brute force, just reading and reading and reading and learning everything I could about the world. And I'm positive I got a million things wrong. Um, but, uh, at the same time, uh, it, it became easy to bring in all of this history and make it as real as possible because the history was fascinating um, and I couldn't get enough of it. So it, it was a really fun, kind of exciting adventure um, to kind of delve into that world fully. In some ways, you portray Nan's abusive master, Wilkie Crud, such an evocative name, <laughs> as the true monster of the story. He has all the malice of a Dickensian villain. What was your process in shaping a cruel but credible antagonist, and did you secretly relish it a bit? <laughs> I feel like you know me quite well. Uh, I love writing villains, um, and I certainly enjoyed making a horrible villain in Wilkie Crud, um, who is the master who runs this gang of children who do all the literal dirty work for him. One of the things, though, that I did find I had to do was actually dial back his villainy, uh, because at the end of the day, the true evil uh, in the book Sweep is not just one individual bad uh, chimney sweep master. Uh, it's an entire system that allows uh, people to own other human beings. It's a system that allows uh, an entire culture to turn a blind eye as children are literally suffering and dying in their own homes. And so one of the journeys for me was not in finding just how wicked and evil I could make this particular villain um, but I was actually kind of dialing him back uh, because, once again, uh, this isn't a book about just one bad person. This is a book about an entire culture that was uh, participating in something that was truly horrific. On a lighter note, like the golem that is brought to life through the sacred word, Nan and Charlie are both transformed in a way by books and the power of reading. What were some of the books that sparked your imagination as a young reader? Like almost every author you'll ever talk to, I was hugely <laughs> impacted uh, by the books um, that I read growing up. There's a reason I write kids' books, and it's because I still love those books to this day. In the case of Sweep, there were a lot of different stories um, that I was drawing from, kind of taking one element or idea from each one and sort of mixing them together in my own thing. You mentioned uh, Charles Dickens uh, as a pattern for some of the villains, and that's absolutely uh, something you know that's really baked into this world. But the more immediate touchstones for me were actually uh, significantly lighter books. Um, I spent a lot of time with Charlotte's Web, uh, looking at how a book like that could really um, do this wonderful dance between darkness and light. Uh, one of the other stories that was really impactful for me is at the core of Sweep is this lost uh, relationship between this girl, our hero, Nan Sparrow, and this man who raised her for the first several years of her life who then disappears. And I, as a young father, have spent a lot of time thinking about what would happen to uh, my daughters if I just were to vanish and they were having to um, navigate a pretty dangerous world completely on their own. Um, what would be the residue of the impact I'd made on them in this small time, and what could I have imparted them with that would help them? And one of the stories that I drew that relationship from and that character, this sweep character who raised her, who was a, arguably the only good sweep we see in the book, um, was from Danny the Champion of the World, from Roald Dahl, uh, which I think is just an exquisite book. 
um, that doesn't get enough attention uh, to my mind. And then probably the third major uh, children's book touchstone for me um, was, oddly enough, uh, Frog and Toad. Um, when I was first hatching the story of this girl and her monster, I would often refer to it as Frog and Toad on rooftops. And that sort of became my true north as I was writing. No matter how dark um, the world got, I wanted to always have this sense of joy and play um, between Nan and this, and this creature, this golem that she's raising and befriending and showing the world to. Um, so those were three books that were just uh, enormously helpful in navigating and crafting the world. And they don't resemble, you know, they don't have a lot of overlapping uh, scenery or, or anything like that. But emotionally, they were incredibly uh, crucial. Resilient orphans are well represented in children's lit, including some of your previous books. I'm curious to hear what do you find appealing or intriguing about these kinds of characters? That is a very good question, and it's one I ask myself a lot. Um, some of the answers other people have given, I think, are very true. One is that uh, ch children and childhood is often defined by a lack of agency, and it becomes hard to tell a compelling story when there's always someone who loves them unconditionally waiting at home who could actually solve the problem. And so in some ways, it's a little bit of a crutch for a writer like me. If I can get rid of the parents and throw the kid in the middle of this difficult situation, they have no one uh, that they can run to to help them. It's very similar to scary movies uh, where, you know, all of a sudden everyone's cell phone reception dies. Um, <laughs> you, want to, uh, you want to create a difficult situation for them and you're stripping away all of the things that could protect them or could uh, let them avoid facing the problems themselves. But I think deeper than that, um, rather than just narrative convenience, the, the real core of it is um, I don't really write, I wouldn't say I write books about childhood, I write books about the end of childhood. Uh, some of the most um, crucial moments of my life that I still hang on to are those last few uh, days, minutes, and hours where I felt like I could see my own um, my own childhood sort of falling through my open fingers like sand and I couldn't hold on to it. I knew I was growing up. I knew I was changing and I knew that had to happen, but I was still very sad to leave behind uh, a different sense of the world. And when you strip away the adult characters, you're basically prematurely making these young characters confront that in a way that I find uh, really resonant because uh, every stage of my life since that point has always been that mixed bag of leaving something behind while having to move forward. And that that process of stepping through these thresholds, um, which is both exhilarating and also a little bittersweet, is sort of just an ongoing process throughout life, um, which is why, even though I'm writing about kids, I feel like I'm writing about myself today and myself tomorrow as well. And that transition from childhood into more maturity is in some ways baked into the structure of your novel with it beginning with innocence and then experience. Could you talk about also the poem at the center of the story? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, I mentioned some of the, the reading touchstones that inspired this book. There's a whole other category of uh, books that inspired this that were a little bit more adult, um, going back to um, Charles Kingsley's The Water Babies, which is ostensibly a kid's book, but is kind of unreadable. <laughs> but it was a very important kind of piece of research. Um, and one of the other pieces of research or, or books that I discovered that I really fell in love with it was um, William Blake's Songs of Innocence and Experience. Uh, William Blake was a poet. He was crazy. Um, he was also an artist. 
super fascinating person, and he wrote these two books that were sort of a collection of illustrated children's poems. And the first volume came out, and it was called Songs of Innocence, and it was a bunch of sweet little poems um, just about different things. It's about a, a nurse raising, you know, rocking a little baby at night. It's about a lamb wandering through the field, and he has one poem called The Chimney Sweeper, and it's about a child uh, talking about the other kids. Uh, they're all climbers and talking about uh, kind of their job, and it talks about all these details of how hard their lives are. Um, and that some of the kids are dying and all these things, but there's this general sense, there's a refrain at the end that's basically, you know, if, if we all do our job, uh, then we're going to be happy in heaven and it's all great. And it's a very rosy depiction, um, as befitting the title of the, the collection, Innocence. And then a few years later, William Blake released uh, a, a parallel book of poems called Experience. And in Experience, he took a lot of these same childhood themes and then told them in a much darker and much more sober way. And tellingly, he uh, did a, a literal double poem. So the first poem is called Chimney Sweeper in Innocence. And then uh, a couple years later, he released a second poem also called The Chimney Sweeper. And that poem has none of that sugar coating and that rosy outlook that we're all going to be happy and it's all good. Um, instead, it is an incredibly dark poem uh, that speaks right to the core of the hypocrisy of people, um, of parents and a culture turning their backs on children as they suffer. And uh, over the course, you know, as when I discovered that, I just fell in love with the idea that you could get a reader who encounters one of those poems and uh, has a very strong reaction to it. In the case of this book, Nan, our chimney sweep, encounters that first poem and is just outraged and disgusted. And when she gets that second poem, it's sort of uh, almost a balm for the wound from the first. Um, and that play between innocence and experience is the whole play of the book. The first half is called Innocence, and that is the... Uh, in many ways, the sweeter and more joyful and wonderful part. And the second part experiences when uh, Nan realizes that she can't just take care of herself and those that are immediately around her, but she has to actually do something to help other people. And it's that wisdom um, that she sort of uh, takes with her into this more adult function. In addition to these literary and mythical influences that inspire the story. You also mention briefly in your author's note, the personal and emotional connection you came to feel to this project following the birth of your youngest child. I was wondering, could you speak about that a bit? Uh, I am happy to speak about that. I, I don't always talk about my kids too much, but I, I wrote a book about them, so maybe I should here. Um, uh, so I've been, as I said, I've been writing this book for a long time. Um, I first discovered Gollums, and then a few years later, my wife uh, kind of turned me on to these uh, chimney sweep stories. I started all this research, and I started trying to fuse the two. I, for some reason, I had this sense that I could make a Gollum made of soot and a young chimney sweep, this climbing child, and what would happen with them. And I had many, many false starts, as lots of writers do, um, until I wrote this one uh, chapter that is actually the prologue of the book. Um, I wrote it maybe 10 years ago, and it was called The Girl and Her Sweep. And it had nothing to do with the, the golem that we were going to find, and nothing to do with most of my research. It was really this almost fairy tale like telling of uh, this girl's memory of her first six years with this chimney sweep who had raised her and taken care of her and taught her the trade, and then disappeared from her life. And I remember writing it, and it, it felt like there was energy coming off of the page, that I could tell that I had found the story, uh, but I was also very well aware of the fact that I was a pretty young writer. 
and I did not think I was up to the challenge of writing the book that would grow from that particular seed. Um, and so I put it down for several years, um, in part because I knew that, you know, someday I would probably have kids and then I would be able to tap into a lot of the emotions about how vulnerable you feel. Um, and, uh, well, when it rains, it pours. And as it turns out, uh, I had a bunch of kids, um, and I learned very quickly, uh, in a very big way, just, uh, what it is to, to care for a child and, and specifically my youngest daughter that you asked about. Um, her name is Hazel and she was born, um, she was born with Down syndrome, uh, but in many ways, much more problematic than that. She was born with a, a congenital heart defect, which often comes, uh, is pretty typical with kids with Down syndrome. And so we were bringing a baby into the world who, um, you know, in any other century, uh, would have died right away. Um, in fact, you know, <laughs> just a couple decades ago, a kid like that would have had a, a very short, um, pr uh, prediction for their, for their quality of life and things like that. And it's a good moment of history in history. And she was able to get the care she needed and had this major surgery. And she's now a wonderful, happy two-year-old, but the experience of caring for someone, um, and loving uh, a child that you are so helpless to protect, uh, was really the thing that sort of, um, allowed me to pour myself into, uh, this book and see its shape fully, um, and see how much of that vulnerability I needed to put into the story in order to make it work. Thank you for sharing that. And what do you enjoy most about writing for a middle grade audience in particular? Uh, I love virtually everything about it. Uh, I prefer talking to kids to talking to grownups. You're great, Emma. You know, most grownups I could take or leave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, uh, I love talking to kids and interacting with them. Um, I love the books kids read. I, it truly is one of those things where uh, if, I'm, if I were at a cocktail party, I would want to tell everyone about the kids' books I'm reading. And I'd much rather be <laughs> around a bunch of other kids who are also reading kids books. Um, and, uh, my wife is the same way. She, she writes and thinks about and has studied children's literature for her career. Uh, so we're very nerdy about kids books in our house. We, I love the fact that I get to just read kids books all the time. I spend tons of time visiting schools. I love doing that. Um, I can be a fairly loud, hammy person. So I like, uh, doing assemblies and getting kids psyched about reading. And also, uh, I was growing up kind of, uh, you know, that classic reluctant reader that you see a lot. Um, it really took a, sp a special book to get me excited, and I didn't get a lot of those. So a lot of what I do in my job when I'm going out into the world hanging out with readers is I'm talking to them about what they like and what they don't like. Because sometimes um, just someone listening to you, hearing your interests, meeting you where you're at, um, that's the best way to get the right book into a kid's hand. And that is one of my absolute favorite parts of the job is just getting kids excited, not even just about my books, but about uh, the, the thousands and thousands of amazing stories there are out there waiting for them. And can you share any details about what you're working on now? Uh, unfortunately, I am very superstitious, so I don't want to jinx anything. Um, I'm in the early days of working on another novel and feeling my way through it. Um, I'm a very slow writer, uh, so a lot of the stuff you know, that I write, I, I've actually been sort of uh, chipping away at for years and years and years. Um, but beyond that, I, right now I'm just focused on, uh, getting out there, talking to people about sweep and also just doing a ton of reading. All good things. Congratulations on the new book. And thank you for speaking with me. Thank you so much, Emma. Once again, I've been speaking with Jonathan Oxier, whose new book sweep is out September 25th from Amulet. 
Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast.